Don't you like it when somebody sits down with you and shows you their family album? That's what I'm going to do right now. <laughs> Don't you love it when you go to someone's house for dinner and they say, we're going to show you our slides from our last vacation. That's what pastor's going to do right now. Because pastor's a, gr a proud, a proud grandpa. Yeah, I'm loving it. All the delight without the responsibility. <laughs> Let me show you the first picture this morning. You see that? Yeah, grandpa's taking the boys fishing for the first time. You see, first of all, the back of Jack and, and Logan's up front, and they got their fishing poles, okay? Out there fishing on the lake with grandpa's expensive yacht. Next slide. Look at here. We got our slides mixed up. That was supposed to be the last one, but look at what Logan caught. Next slide. There we go. Look at how excited he is. They weren't catching any fish, and so what I did, uh, I caught one. I caught a, a little bluegill, and then I handed uh, Logan my fishing pole. And so the old bluegill was just, now you animal activists, just leave me alone. I don't need any emails tomorrow. Okay? So they, I left him on the hook, and he was still just fighting. And so I gave, handed the, the fishing pole to Logan, and that old bluegill was just fighting away. And Logan thought he was catching a fish, and he was so excited. Next slide. And now he's pulling it out. There we go. Pulling that fish out, and uh, he felt so good, I'll tell you, catching his first fish. Real good. Last Sunday, we called you to be fishers of souls. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. I want to give you three real powerful insights real quick here on this passage. Number one, Jesus reveals here that he wants us to experience the joy of fishing, not for bluegills, but for souls. Secondly, verse 19 reveals how you and I can constantly witness for Jesus. There it is in verse 19. Follow me. We're called to follow Jesus, to follow his walk and his talk. If we'll just follow Jesus' walk and talk, he will make us into fishers of souls. You see that there? Number three, the third insight I see here. What was it that caused four toughened, rough and tumble businessmen 
fishermen to follow Jesus. Pete Randazzo, can you imagine somebody coming all of a sudden walking into Randazzo heating and cooling? You guys are busy at your business, heating and cooling. And all of a sudden that man says, leave it, Pete, leave it all. Walk away from it. Follow me. <laughs> he said, let's go. <laughs> they left their occupation. They left their career. They even left their father, the Bible says, and followed Jesus. What was it about the personality of Jesus? What was it about that man from Nazareth? What was it? about Jesus that caused them to drop their nets, leave their business behind, and follow Jesus. We don't see any amazing miracles, nothing that was supernatural or cosmic whatsoever. He's not walking on the water here. He just says, follow me. And they drop their nets. They leave it all behind to follow him. I submit to you that there was something about that man I submit to you, I'm convinced it was his attitude. His attitude. I want to explore the attitudes of Jesus this morning. I want to continue with our, our, our two-part series, Jesus-style living. I've called you, I've challenged you to Jesus-style living. And this morning, we want to explore the attitude check. The attitude check. Pray with me. Lord, we submit right now our minds. We submit, oh Lord, our hearts. We submit our time, our focus. Lord, to come to bear on hearing what the Spirit is saying to the church this hour. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. Would you take out the study guide? Fill in the blanks with me if you would like. Your response to your circumstances when we explore this whole business of attitude and what it is, your response to your circumstances is called your attitude. It's not what happens to you that matters. It's how you react to what happens to you that makes all the difference in your world. Yes. Write it down. Mark it. Your attitude is an inward feeling expressed by your outward behavior. It's an inward feeling that is evidence, it is demonstrated, it is seen by your outward behavior. Your attitude shows without you even saying a word. Listen, you don't need a PhD to pick up on attitude. When you tell your teenager to pick up their bedroom and clean it up for the umpteenth time when you tell them that curfew's 11 o'clock or else and they begin wailing. <laughs> they begin foaming and spitting and their head begins spinning on their shoulders. They're not possessed by some unclean spirit. That's attitude. That's attitude. Now hubbies, you might not ever have discerned this before, but when you surprise your wife with the news, when you all of a sudden come home and say, get the guest room ready, 
ah, ah, my parents are moving in for the next three weeks from out of state. Uh, and she gives you a laser light uh, piercing stare that's worse than the death, uh, the death Star on Star Wars when, when she just is piercing you with that penetrating gaze. Uh, I, I'm talking about a look that could kill. I want you to know that she's not inwardly singing, oh, happy day. She's not inwardly singing, yes, I love you with the love of the Lord. That's attitude. That's attitude. You are responsible. I am responsible for my attitude. I ask you, are you a thermostat or a thermometer? What's the difference between a thermostat and a thermometer? A thermometer merely registers the temperature of the surrounding environment. A thermometer adapts. It, it, it is plainly influenced by its circumstances. A thermometer is influenced by its environment. A thermostat controls its environment. A thermostat is not controlled by outward circumstances, but responds correctly to its environment. Think of it. Are you a thermostat or are you a thermometer? At the cross, they tortured Jesus. And while they tortured him, they ridiculed him. They mocked him. And yet, how did he respond? As a thermometer or as a thermostat? Were you listening to me? Did he respond accordingly? Hate for hate, spite for spite, hurt for hurt? As they tortured him, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus' powerful lesson is this. Uh, it's not what happens to you that's important. It's how you react to what happens to you that makes all the difference. Attitude is a choice. Attitude is placed in the choice of your will and my will. The psalmist David said, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and I will be glad in it. Paul the Apostle said in prison, writing to the Philippians, rejoice. <laughs> and again, I say rejoice. How did you get up this morning? How did you roll out of your bed this morning? Huh? When you got up this morning and now it's starting to get dark when you get up early in the morning, did you, did you shout out, good Lord, it's morning? Or did you say, good morning, Lord? Attitude is your choice. Hey, I'm always a believer. If I wake up in the morning and the heart's beating and the lungs are full and I can't find my name in the obituary column in the newspaper, praise God, it's gonna be a great day. Amen? Attitude, attitude. You have choice over your attitude. 
Your attitude, write it down, will be a major determining factor in your life. Your attitude will affect your health. Your attitude will determine your promotion or your demotion. Listen, those that are in control of your wages are subjective human beings. And let me tell you, attitude on the job has an awful lot to do whether or not you're going to get a bonus, whether or not you're going to get a raise, whether or not you're going to get a merit increase. Attitude. It determines success or failure. Attitude. It'll impact your relationship with your friends and those that are not your friends, your family. Attitude will bring about a correct, a right, or a wrong relationship even with your God. Attitude is a major determining factor in how you are an effective witness for Jesus Christ with others. I am convinced that attitude is one of the major reasons why people are not effective soul winners. They are not effective witnesses for Jesus Christ. A lot is discussed about methods. We are in a season here at Lakeside of methods and events. Next week's Sunday, Homecoming Sunday. We're not just putting that on next week's Sunday for a great time of fellowship for you all. That's the major purpose. But a great spinoff is you can invite a friend. You can invite a loved one to come to next week homecoming Sunday. Everybody loves to come to an outdoor barbecue. You can pay their ticket. You can pick up the tab for them in the name of Jesus and be able to expose them to the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel. You can invite them to Edge of Eternity, which is under construction up here. And wow, what a powerful, soul-winning message that they will receive. But ultimately, those are events. Those are methods. I'm talking about you being a witness 24-7. Either your light is shining or your light is dim. And one of the greatest ways that we keep our light from shining is attitude. 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 What we are speaks so loudly. People can't hear the gospel we're sharing. People can't hear what we're saying because our attitude is so loud. One of my professors, when I was in undergraduate school and university and teaching us pastors, uh, he, he warned us. He said, when you give people hope, when you share about heaven, make sure that you have your biggest and your brightest smile. But when you talk about hell, your ordinary face will do. <laughs> Honey, sir, ma'am, what are you preaching about the most with your attitude? Heaven? Or hell. Don't let your attitude become a barrier. Don't allow your attitudes to become a hindrance to the good news of Jesus. Attitude. Attitude. When was the last time you, you, you did an attitude check? John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, but cheer up. 
despite the tribulation, despite the troubles, despite the trials, despite the tragedies of life, Jesus said, make a choice. Cheer up, for I've overcome the world. Can you say those two words? Cheer up. One more time. Cheer up. Now say it like a preacher. Cheer up. Oh, you made me a believer. Hallelujah. Cheer up. Are you dealing with job loss? Cheer up. Jesus has overcome. He's your provider. Have you failed? Cheer up. Jesus has overcome. He's your victory. Have you been criticized by somebody you thought was your friend? <laughs> Cheer up. Jesus has overcome. He'll never leave you. He will never forsake you. Are you facing terrible sickness? Cheer up. <laughs> Jesus has overcome. He's your healer. He's your great physician. Have you lost a loved one? It's terrible to say that last goodbye. But cheer up, Jesus is overcome. Because he lives, our loved ones can really live. Amen. Cheer up, our Lord is greater than the burdens that you carry. Cheer up, God is greater than the mountains that you are climbing or the giants that you are facing. If you're beginning a brand new work week, if you're beginning a brand new day in the Lord and you're gripped with a sense of hopelessness, stop it. The greatest days of your life are before you. Cheer up, Jesus has overcome this world. Much is said in soul winning, in evangelism about methods. Handing out tracts, soul winning tracts is a method. The church has done it for years. Knocking on doors, telling people about Jesus is a method. There was a book I remember as a kid written in the 1960s. Anybody remember it? If you do, you admit you're as old as I am. The Gospel Blimp. And the guy had a great idea to put up a blimp and then just dump out tracks all over his community. What did they discover? That the best, the best soul winning, the best evangelism, the best way to share the Gospel is in the context of our relationships. Much is said about methods. The church is great in putting on events, but still the greatest way to be a witness is in your day-to-day -day relationships. And that's why we gotta talk about attitude. What do the people see that you relate with? How do they check out your attitude? What do they see? Look with me in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, as we look at Jesus' soul-winning attitudes. Jesus, Jesus is written about here in Philippians 2 by Paul. Paul says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. What kind of attitude did Jesus have? What can we say about the attitude of Christ? 
Oh, mark it down with me. Despite rejection, despite ridicule, despite discouragement, Jesus was determined to share his gospel and save the lost. Imagine what Jesus dealt with. You think you've had a hard work week. The religious leaders, the church of his day, said that he was demon-possessed. His family members called him crazy. His countrymen, the Jews, shouted out, crucify him. The disciples deserted him. Peter denied him. And his treasurer, Judas, betrayed him. Jesus faced disaster. He faced disease. Jesus faced darkness. Jesus faced demons. He faced death. And even the old slewfoot, the devil himself. And through it all, the enemy tried to destroy Jesus with the enemy's favorite weapon. What is the devil's favorite weapon? Whether it's Jesus or you and I. I submit it to you. It's discouragement. Terrible death-dealing, doubt-dealing discouragement. Paralyzing, immobilizing, demoralizing discouragement. Yet Jesus, when I check out his attitude, Jesus had, had a disposition. Jesus had a spirit that refused to be discouraged. Jesus refused to be a quitter. Have you ever looked at the I must of Jesus in the Bible? Oh, look, look at the I must of Jesus in the Bible. Jesus said in Luke 2.49, I must be about my Father's business. Luke 4, I must preach. Luke 12, I must accomplish my work. John 9, I must work while it is yet day. For the night comes when no one can work. Matthew 16, I must go to Jerusalem to suffer and die. I'm thrilled by the must. Of Jesus. Jesus, you see, was committed. He was determined. Nothing would stop him from sharing the gospel. Nothing would detour, distract, or delay him from his mission. I must, <laughs> I must, I must. A while back, I was at Universal Studios with the family, Islands of Adventure specifically and all of a sudden I noticed that I was walking behind what I termed a walking billboard this guy this guy he, he was huge he was a giant I've never seen anybody that big and he had this t-shirt on a red t-shirt with white letters on the back bigger stronger, faster, and then little print down below. Well, at least bigger. <laughs> well, at least bigger. God doesn't call us to be stronger, bigger, faster, but he does call us to be determined. To be determined. To have the kind of spirit, to have the kind of soul-winning attitude. <laughs> I'm not going to be discouraged. I will refuse to be disappointed. I will set my face like flint, and I will, I will, I will be determined to be a soul winner, to be a witness. I will reflect Jesus. I will follow Jesus. When you're determined to be a witness for Jesus, be ready, though, to be attacked. 
by discouragement. The world will call you a fanatic. The world will call you a Jesus freak. The world will call you a Holy Joe, a Bible thumper. Even family and friends will desert you, reject you, and ridicule you. Many of you have come under terrible, terrible persecution. Not from the world, but from your family, from your friends. But my word to you, in the name of Jesus, refuse to quit. Refuse to be discouraged. Refuse to give up. Refuse to throw in the towel. Keep persevering. Remain determined. Determined. Stop caring about what others think and start caring what God thinks. He calls you to be a fisher of men. He calls you to be a soul winner. He calls you to influence others instead of letting them influence you. He calls you to stand out and to stand up and to be counted for the cause of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 16, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. One of the greatest regrets of my life was my junior year in high school. My junior year in high school, I had a history class that was called uh, History of War. It traced the history of war from ancient times to contemporary times. Those were the days of the Jesus people movement. Oh man, I wish, I wish you students would have been at the Jesus uh, people movement time. A great revival came through and from young people, through students. But they didn't dress the way us people that were raised in church dressed. They didn't wear their hair. They didn't look <laughs> the way us church people looked. In fact, that's where the term Jesus freaks came from. A lot of them were hippies that came out of the hippie culture and were born again. And, and uh, instead of finding a high in a pill, they found a high in a person, and his name's Jesus. Well, we had a Jesus freak in, in, in that world history class. I mean, he had blonde hair down to his hips. And, and the teacher was, was teaching and talking about uh, uh, famine and war. And, and this young man brought up the fact of the signs of the times and that Jesus was coming back. That Jesus was coming at any time. And that uh, high school teacher tore him apart and told him, listen, there's always been war. There's always been famine. There's always been earthquakes. And just blew the boy's argument apart and made him look like a fool. I sat back. I knew the answer. I know that Matthew 24 says that these signs would be like birth pains, that they would increase in intensity, in duration, in frequency, and there's the signs, the times. I knew the answer, and I sat back quiet because I was afraid of being embarrassed, being rejected, not accepted, not a part of the popular crowd, and I did nothing, and I said nothing, and I let them literally, emotionally, and relationally crucify that young man. 
to this very day I regret it. I blew an opportunity to share Jesus and stand up for Jesus. But God is the author of second chances. My senior year, the summer before my senior year, this lukewarm, passionless, namby-pamby Christian got right with God where he should be that summer. That's when I began feeling the stirrings to the call to ministry. God did a real work with me in that summer between my junior and my senior year of high school. And I said, God, I pledge you this year, my senior year, no matter what the cost is, no matter what it takes, I'm going to stand up and be counted for you. Though none go with me, I will follow you. My problem is I didn't know it would be the first day of school. <laughs> I thought I'd have some warm-up time. My first day in advanced placement English, the teacher in my advanced placement English class had the students stand up one after another. He wanted to know our philosophy of life. You talk about an open door. I could have, and boy, the thought passed through me. I could just give, uh, you know, a feel-good, positive thinking, I'm okay, you're okay statement. But I stood up when it came to me and I said, my philosophy of life is this, that humanity is lost, sinners in need of a savior. And the only savior, the only way, the only truth, and the only life is the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who died upon a cross and was raised the third day. And because he lives, we can really live. He is our only hope. He is our only future. And I sat down. And everybody. And you talk about silence. One of the, one of the Harvard-type girls came to me afterwards and she says, are you one of those Pentecostals? I said, yes. I could tell. Before the end of that year, my advanced placement English teacher, Mr. Hill, gave his heart and life to Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. 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 God will give you divine appointment if you will ask, if you will believe, if you will expect God to set your agenda, God to open up the doors, God to give you a platform to share what he has done in your life, what he is doing in your life. Let every one of us, Paul said, be instant in season and out of season to give a reason for our hope and our salvation. Will you do that? It takes a real Christian to stand up and say, I have decided to follow Jesus despite the ridicule, despite the rejection, despite the distractions and the discouragements, despite the very storms of hell. Keep following, keep following, keep following Jesus. Keep sharing your Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus. Write it down, Jesus' faithfulness caused him to finish strong. Jesus was more than determined. 
He was faithful to the very end. He went the distance. Ultimately on the cross he cries out, It is finished. The debt of sin had been paid. Jesus paid it to its full. Jesus finished strong. It's one thing to be determined. Then it's a whole other thing to finish strong. To finish at the end. To be faithful. Do you realize that every lakeside ministry is a soul winning ministry? If you invite a friend to come to church and that friend is greeted at our front door, that friend is helped by one of our ushers, that friend is made welcome by one of our hostesses, that friend goes, takes their child to Sunday school class, that friend Here's the praise and worship team. That friend is blessed because it's a clean church through the custodial uh, ministry of this church. That friend is a recipient of the youth ministry because they're teenagers in the youth ministry. And I could go on and on and on. The preacher preaches a message. The pastor leads the church. The soul winning invitation is given at the end of the service. That family gets right with God. Who won that soul to Jesus? Every single one of those people that I just mentioned. And a whole lot more. And a whole lot more. Every worshiper that uplifts the name of Jesus on Sunday morning. Everyone who gives the offering. You're a, a part of our soul winning team here at Lakeside. Think of it. Every ministry is a soul winning ministry. The greatest need with our soul winning ministries here at Lakeside is faithfulness. The greatest problem that we pastors and we spiritual leaders face here at Lakeside is not persecution from the world. It's unfaithfulness. No shows. Talk to the nursery. Talk to, to our head usher. Talk to Pastor Hal. Talk to anybody involved in spiritual leadership, and they will tell you, my greatest frustration deals with unfaithfulness. No shows. No shows. Hey, I want to ask you some questions. If your car, if your car only started uh, uh, one out of uh, every three times, would you consider it faithful? If your refrigerator you know, quit every now and then. Would you, would you excuse it and say, oh, well, it works most of the time? If you missed a couple of mortgage payments, you know, in a year's time, uh, would your mortgage holders say, uh, oh, well, you know, uh, 10 out of 12, yeah, that ain't bad. If you didn't show up at work two or three times a month, would your boss call you faithful? If you aren't faithful to God's house, why should he be faithful to your house? I see quite a few empty pews here this morning. Why? People have taken the whole summer off from God. I find they don't really come back until October. We're not faithful to God's house. Why should he be faithful to ours? Amen. 
The Bible says in Hebrews 10, let us not neglect our church meetings as some people do, but encourage and warn each other, especially now that the day of His coming back again is drawing near. Do you want the Lord to be faithful to you? Then be faithful to Him. Be faithful to His house. Be faithful to soul winning ministries. Every ministry is strategic and pivotal for influencing people for the cause of Jesus Christ. Don't be known as a no-show in the kingdom of God. Mark it down, mark it down, mark it down. People were attracted to Jesus because of his integrity. His integrity. Integrity speaks of character, uprightness, honesty. Integrity speaks of purity. Jesus was all those things and a whole lot more. Even, even, even sinner, governor, Pilate on the day of Jesus' trial. What did he say about Jesus? I find no fault in this man. Even sinners observe the integrity of Jesus. Christian, the moment you're born again, you're not only enlisted in God's army. Christian, the moment you are born again, you are enlisted in his diplomatic core. You doubt me? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul said, we are therefore Christ's what? What's an ambassador? An ambassador represents a king, a president, a prime minister. An ambassador represents his country. When you go to work tomorrow, when you deal with the neighborhood, the community, when you go to school tomorrow, when you rub shoulders with the world, you are an ambassador of Jesus Christ. You are his agent, you are his representative by what you say, what you do, by your attitude. We are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Especially in terms of this arena called integrity. Integrity. You see, we're not only called to represent the love of Jesus, we're called to represent his integrity. How can you be an ambassador of Jesus Christ if you're listening to the latest dirty joke at school or work? If you're losing your temper over and over and over again and spewing out cussing and swearing and profanity, how can you be an ambassador of Jesus Christ if you're known as the criticizer, the gossiper, how can you be an ambassador of Jesus Christ if you're stealing from the company? Stealing their time. Stealing their tools. Honey, sir, ma'am, and I know it's getting real quiet right now. That's okay. I can handle it. God's called you to be holy as he is holy. Jesus said, be therefore perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. He didn't call you to a low standard. He called you to a high standard. To let Jesus be Jesus in you. I know this steps on some toes, but God hasn't called you to do what you want, but to do as you ought. Amen? Real freedom is not, if it feels good, do it. Real freedom is being what you ought to be in Christ Jesus. Then you can square your shoulders and lift up your head and be proud to represent his name, proud to represent his kingdom. Proud, hallelujah, and I mean that in a good way, to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ. But if you're known as a man, a woman who fudges the numbers to get the sales contract, what kind of a witness is that? What kind of a witness is that? 
God's called you to a higher standard. Again, what we are speaks so loudly, the world many times can't hear our preaching, can't hear what we're saying. Remember, we're the only Bible the careless world will ever read. We are the sinner's gospel. We are the scoffer's creed. We are the Lord's last message given in deed and in our word. What if the type is crooked? What if the print is blurred? Mark it down. Christ-like, a Christ-like attitude will stir up a passion in you to serve others. To serve others. To serve others. It's interesting that when I do premarital counseling, one of the exercises that I perform with couples is a division of labor exercise. Especially when both are working outside the home. What will happen, what will happen in a marital relationship when both are working outside the home and the first six weeks uh, he throws himself into the couch, takes out the remote when they both come home from work and says, what's for supper? He's gonna, it might not happen right away, but I guarantee you that within about six weeks, he will get supper uh, thrown on his face. <laughs> when both are working outside the home, there needs to be some equity. Uh, stats tell us that even when both are working, this is not my message and I'm bunny trailing right now. Bad bunny trailing here, but I'm gonna branch out anyway. Uh, in this. Stats tell us that even when both are working outside the home, that women do 95% of the household chores still. And I, I, really, I really tell the husbands, if your wife's going to work outside the home, you need, you need to do half of all the household chores, as well as your regular man-like chores. Now I'm getting some response. In fact, I'm getting some spiritual experiences taking place in the pew right now. It's just been in, the, in recent years that uh, my wife ha has uh, gone back to, to work. And there has had to be some realignment in the way we do things uh, in the home. See this shirt this morning? Huh? See this shirt? I'm really proud. I ironed it. <laughs> now, I, I, I'm not showing you the back of it because I really did a bad job. I'm keeping the coat on. I, my mommy never taught me how to iron. I am now learning how to iron. I am now learning how to use a dish. I never learned how to do a dishwasher. I, I've never learned how to do a washing machine. I mean, we, we had the traditional, I do all the man type stuff, she does all the women. But now I have had to do this. I, I've learned how to make beds. I have learned how to serve my wife. Now I'm going to really bunny trail. 
because I'm sensing something here. <laughs> I, I just had, God bless him, I just had Larry Harton, Larry Harton, who is an irrigation specialist, uh, uh, install irrigation for me. And, and uh, uh, we had some pump troubles because Pastor tried to go cheap and uh, use a pump from a garage sale. <laughs> Well, long story short, we're on our fourth pump. The fourth pump works. You know what I have found out about pumps? You can't get anything out of them until you put something into them. Let me repeat that again for the spiritually hibernating and dormant out there. What I have found out with pumps, you cannot get them to work properly. You can't get anything out of them until you put something into them. To get water to come out, you have to prime that. You have to pour water in. Hubby, if you want real love to be operative in your home, honey, serve her. Sir, sir, I said honey. Sir, serve your honey. <laughs> we'll get it right. Serve her. Minister to her. Be a blessing to her. And you watch, you watch. She has the capacity to pour out love on you ten times more than what you have done under her. In like manner, in like manner, God has called us to serve others. Jesus was the perfect model and pattern and paradigm uh, in this. Jesus lovingly washed whose feet? The disciples' feet. Matthew 23, verse 11 is God's portrait of success. His portrait of success is not prosperity, popularity, power, or prestige. God's portrait of success is this. He who is greatest among you shall be your, what? Servant. Read the Gospels. It's Jesus who serves others and not the other way around. It's Jesus who ministers the tax collector, the adulteress, the prostitutes, the lepers, the outcasts, the untouchables, the demon-possessed, the hungry, the needy, the rejects. Jesus serves them, not the other way around. I've never been so proud of you. I've never been so proud to pastor a church that more and more and more is serving the com community and being the hands of Jesus, the feet of Jesus, the mouthpiece of Jesus, our, our McCrest, the big gives. Uh, we have the gas station outreach coming edge of eternity. God bless you, Lakeside, for being servants of Jesus Christ. We're priming the pump. Uh, we're being about our kingdom business. We're being a servant for the glory of God. The Red Cross serves. Uh, I, I mean, United Way serves. But we're doing it for the glory of God. There's the difference. We're doing it to be a witness for Jesus Christ. And God has said, if you will freely give, you will freely receive. When you have Jesus' servant attitude, your focus is others and not yourself. A soul went into eternity. This man slipped from the here and now 
into the hereafter. And as he arrived in heaven, by the way, this is not theology, this is a joke. As he arrived in heaven and saw the glory of heaven and heard the choir of angels and the worship of heaven, he said, this is great. But St. Peter stopped him at the gate and said, we're going to give you an opportunity, though, to, to just see how great it really is. We're going to let you compare it with an eternity in hell. So he pointed him to an elevator, and the gentleman went down into the depths of hell. Double doors opened up, and he was shielding himself from the fires of Hades. But when the doors opened up, it was paradise. John, it looked, it looked better than Hawaii. Beaches, golf courses. Uh, spas, I mean, zillion star hotels and, and, and resorts. I, it, it was awesome. All the food you could eat, I mean, all the joys and the adventures of living. And, and he went up to Lucifer and, and, and said, I thought hell was supposed to be hell, but this is awesome. This is fantastic. So he went back up in the elevator and he, he said to St. Pete, he said, please don't be offended. Yeah, heaven, heaven's great, but man, hell is, is just phenomenal. I, I choose hell. So he got in the elevator, zoomed on back down. Uh, he was already uh, getting the golf clubs out. He, he, he was already getting his snorkeling equipment. I mean, he was ready for uh, eternal fun. Doors opened up. Heat flames of fire. And he pointed at the devil and he said, You lied to me. No. Devil sneered and said, Yesterday we were recruiting, but today you're hired. <laughs> Yesterday we were recruiting, but today. You're hired. You're hired. Mark it down. Jesus didn't see people as we see people. Jesus was seized, seized, seized with the conviction that without God's grace, people were lost. Jesus, in Matthew 9, 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. When the alarm bell goes off at the fire station, why do the firemen run? Why are they scrambling? Why are they moving so quickly? Why do firemen, when they hear the alarm bell, move with such haste? Because they're convinced that that alarm bell means that people are burning to death. They have no problem with conviction. They are convinced when they hear the alarm bell, the fire is real. Why? do we put on edge of eternity? Why a homecoming Sunday? Why a gas station outreach? Why the big gives? Why does your preacher and your pastor preach about you being a soul winner? Because we are convinced 
that there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. This pastor and this preacher wants to go on record this morning, and I want to look right into the cameras right now. I want to go on record, despite what is being taught in many Christian and church circles today, and in best-selling Christian books, I want to go on record. I believe in a literal hell, because I believe in the literal Word of God. My Jesus preached and taught and warned more about hell than he ever shared about the glories of heaven. Jesus was convinced of a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. The cross would have been meaningless if there was no hell. Why the suffering? Why the crucifixion? Why a savior hanging upon a cross? Because the stakes were so high. <laughs> because the cost was so high. Because the issue was so great that souls could spend an eternity in heaven or an eternity in hell. Jesus is not our savior just because he saved us from our sins. Jesus is our savior because he saved us from hell. Hell is a place of eternal torment. Hell is a place of fire, darkness, demons, and devils for all eternity. Hell offers no escape the moment you arrive in hell. The prayers of 10,000 saints cannot lift you out. Hell offers no second chance. Hell has no escape. Hell offers no hope. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of second chances. No wonder Paul the Apostle said in 2 Corinthians 5, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. It's impossible to be an effective witness for Jesus Christ without the attitude of a burning conviction that the lost are really lost. That my friends, my relatives, my co-workers, my neighbors who do not know Jesus will spend a literal eternity in a literal hell. You must be convinced. You must have the burning passion and conviction that the lost are really lost. Or Jesus gave us a lie. I cannot imagine that a loving God would send his very best, his son Jesus, to die upon a cross if there was not a hell to save you and I from. Are you convinced that there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun? Do you, do you, do you have conviction? Do you have Christ's conviction? Are you a convinced witness? And it's not just hell. We must be convinced that it's not psychology, it's not self-improvement, it's not positive thinking that can really change a person's life. We have to be convinced that there's only one way to beat, cheat, and defeat death and enjoy an indescribable life in heaven. We must be convinced that good intentions and good words and good works cannot lift us up into heaven. We must be convinced that an expensive embalming job, a rosewood casket, an eloquent eulogy can change your eternal destiny. These things cannot do it. We must be convinced that Buddha, Confucius, 
Muhammad and Allah and a statue of Mary on the dashboard of your Buick will not save your soul. We must be seized with the burning conviction that only one shed his blood upon Calvary. Only one tasted death. Only one rose from the bonds of death, hell, and the grave. And that there's only one who ascended to the right hand of God and heaven. Only one. Will you tell me his name? For salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven. The Bible says given to men whereby we must be saved. The name is Jesus. Jesus. Pastor. Pastor, how, how can I always be determined? How can I always be faithful? How can I always be a person of integrity? Pastor, how can I be one who serves? Pastor, how can I be one who is, has this burning conviction that the lost are really lost and Jesus is the only way? How can I be that kind of person? Because I'm not always faithful in those things. That's where the power of the Holy Spirit comes in. You can't do God's work without God's power. God's not looking for extraordinary people. He wants to take ordinary Joes like you and I and fill us with extraordinary power. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, Jesus said, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. He didn't say do witnessing. He said be witnesses. Be witnesses. We cannot do God's work without God's power. For it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by His Spirit, saith the Lord. Let your prayer, let your cry, let your heartbeat be. Jesus, be Jesus in me. No longer me, but the resurrection power fill me this hour. Jesus, be Jesus in me. And God, the Holy Spirit, will consume you. And he will give you the want to. He will give you the power. He will give you the ability. He will let Jesus be Jesus in you. One day, no one knows that hour. But I warn you, that date, that date, that date cannot be negated, nullified, or negotiated. One day, somebody across town is going to be working on a flower arrangement. One day, somebody across town is going to be working on a casket. I don't want to be morbid, but I'm being honest with you. One day, one day in a cemetery, somebody's going to be digging a grave. For every step you take, every breath you inhale, every beat of your heart takes you that much closer to that moment, that day. Then you and I will stand before the high court of heaven if we know Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. If not, the elevator doors are going to open up and you're going to find out that you're hired somewhere else. Those that stand before the high court of heaven, I hope that on that day of days that you will hear, 
Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Welcome home. I pray that's you. I know I, that's what I want. Preaching this message, studying and prepared for it. I've been checking my attitudes. And I want my attitudes to be like those of my Savior, Jesus. Bow your heads with me. Father, Father, we ask, come, O Holy Spirit. Jesus, be Jesus within us. Spirit of God, I pray, come and help us to tell the world that we're a Christian. Not ashamed his name to bear. Help us to tell the world that we're Christians and take his name everywhere. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You're here today. And even though I've been sharing this message to church people, to Christians, you're here today and even right now, the Spirit of God is knocking upon your heart's door, calling you to know Him, to know Jesus. How about it? Isn't it time you say yes to Jesus? I want to ask you today, are you right with God? Do you know that you know you're right with God? Do you know that you know that you have a home in heaven? If the Lord was to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? Your good works, being a good person, it wouldn't measure up to God's expectations. The only thing that measures up is a personal, ongoing relationship with Jesus, being a Christ follower. Have you made that decision yet? If you'd like to make that decision to be right with God, to choose Jesus, to have a home in heaven, I'm going to pray a prayer, a prayer of salvation. If you would like to be included in this prayer, I'm going to ask you to lift up your hand right now. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. This is a sign of your faith. I'm not asking you to join this church. I'm asking you to get right with God by putting your faith in this prayer. I'm going to pray the prayer. How many want to be included in this prayer this morning? Lift up your hand right now so that I can see it. God bless you. I see that hand. Yes, God bless you. I see that hand in the back. God bless you. How many more? I'm looking up in the balcony. Yes, I see that hand. God bless you. Three hands for Jesus. Four hands for Jesus. God bless you. How many more? Lift it up high. This is a sign of your faith in what I'm about to pray, what we're about to pray. How many more? And I'll close this up. I don't want to leave anyone out. Yes, number five. God bless you. I see that hand. Keep those hands lifted up. Keep those hands lifted up as a sign of your faith. Everyone pray this prayer with me, especially you that have your hands lifted up. Put your heart into what we're about to pray. Dear Jesus, I come to you right now just as I am. I confess I am a sinner. I've sinned 
but Jesus, you're my Savior. Save me, Jesus. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead with resurrection life. I want that life, Jesus. A new life, a changed life. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing me, for changing me, for giving me a home in heaven, a new start. I thank you, Jesus, that I am saved. In the name of Jesus, I pray this. Amen and amen. Stand with me, if you would. Stand with me. Sing it with me now. Jesus, be Jesus in me. No longer me, but Thee. Resurrection power, fill me this hour. Jesus, be Jesus. do God's work without God's we cannot do God's work without God's power God's power comes from the third person of the Trinity God the Holy Spirit and I want to, I'm here to tell you this morning that if you're sitting back and saying well bless God 53 years ago, I had a real experience with the Holy Spirit. Well, I, you know, I praise the Lord with you too. But what about right now? What about right at this moment? Yesterday's anointing will not do for today. You need a fresh touch. You need a fresh outpouring of God the Holy Spirit in your life. You are not meant to be a reservoir. You are meant to be a channel for the Spirit of God to flow in you and to flow out of you. We're beginning a brand new week. I don't know about you, but I want a fresh touch. <laughs> I want a fresh anointing, a fresh move of God in my life. The baptizer is Jesus. And I find as I lift up the name of Jesus in praise and worship, I find the Holy Spirit, He comes. <laughs> and he refreshes <laughs> he heals he moves he strengthens he empowers my life and again last week's anointing won't do I need a fresh touch this morning what am I getting at I'm gonna I'm gonna ask that you would make your way down to the altar into the aisles if you got to run and go somewhere I won't condemn you no one else will but uh, I implore you, well, it's just five minutes to come into the presence of the Lord and to say, Lord, <laughs> I, I, I won't dare, I won't dare to say that in and of myself, I am able. Lord, you are able and I need a fresh touch, a fresh infusion of Holy Spirit power in my life. Come Holy Spirit and fill me. Do your work. Would you make yourself available? Maybe, maybe you, need, you need healing this morning. Uh, I'm going to ask the elders to prepare themselves. 
I'm going to get the anointing oil and I'm going to be prepared to lay hands upon the sick this morning. Come, come, come and be refreshed because of the edge stage. You might be standing in the aisleways. We'll minister to you in the aisleways. But come and be refreshed by the Spirit of the Lord. He's here. Our part is just to yield to Him. Amen? We are here to worship you this morning. And if you raise your hand for Jesus, you come too. Let us know that you've made your decision for Jesus. Come, and we want to pray for you this morning. Come right now as we sing it.